In the U.S., it is estimated that we spend 37 billion hours waiting in line each year. Have you ever spent some time waiting in line? Yes. One of the greatest causes of frustration, right, can be an airport, can be uh, on the LIE. Whenever I moved here, the LIE, I called it the big lie. It's supposed to be an expressway. A lot of times it's a parking lot, right? And you're waiting there. How about Jones Beach? Go to the air show. Oh, if you ever tried to go to the air show. Look at these people are waiting there for the air show. They're never going to get in. Uh, so whether you're, wait, you know, whether you're waiting in line at the, at the beach or on the, in the LIE stuck in traffic, you know, there's times when we have just contributed to the 37 billion hours that annually happen to people waiting in line. In fact, according to computer scientist um, Ramesh Tarman, internet users may be particular impatient bunch. His research has found out that we're willing to wait on an average for two seconds while waiting for a video online to upload. If it doesn't upload in two seconds, then uh, 10% of the people just skip it. After five seconds, the abandonment rate is 25%. And then when you get to 10 seconds, it increases by 50%. People just swipe it, get rid of it. So why do we hate waiting so much? According to MIT operations researcher and line expert, I actually have line experts, Richard Lawson, Occupied times feel shorter than unoccupied times. So when we're standing in a long line or in a doctor's office waiting in the waiting room, the time does not feel as if it's, it, the time does feel as if it's dragging on. Waiting can provoke impatience, stress, anxiety, and in turn, anxiety also makes it seem wet, the longer the wait. The cost of waiting is an emotional one too. Stress, there's boredom. There's this nagging feel that I'm just wasting time. But while waiting in line may be to some extent innately annoying, there's no question that our lifestyles of constant busyness, multitasking, and information overload have even made it even more difficult for us to tolerate idle time. And of course, when we get our mobile devices out and we have Wi-Fi, then What's impossible? It makes it possible to avoid idle time almost altogether. But you know what the Bible says? According to the scripture, waiting on God in his presence is a good thing. It's actually a very good thing. It's valued and it's commanded in the scripture that we wait on God. So I want to encourage you to hurry up and wait. So today we're going to hurry up and wait in, our pre- in the presence of the Lord. You know, Psalm 33, verse 20 says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 5, 3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew word wait is often translated as hope, but it actually means to stretch forth, to look intently and expectantly for God to be at work. It's also 
If you would put it in a sports term, it would be the first baseman waiting for the shortstop to throw him the ball, and he's stretching out to catch the, catch the ball. It's the receiver running out, and he's looking up at the quarterback, and he's waiting for that touchdown pass to come down in his hands. There's an expectation of something that's going to happen. So waiting is not passive. It's not a passive action. Hope and waiting on God means to really look to him expectantly to have our faith and the eyes of our faith looking at him. So how do you navigate waiting in life and on God? How do you navigate that? How do you remain spiritually and emotionally healthy while you're waiting for God to come through on something, but it seems like he's taking a long time? Or it seems like nothing's happening. You've prayed about it, and nothing seems to be happening. Well, in the series on the book of Isaiah, I've shared with you the difficulty that Isaiah himself had as a prophet, right? He has this dramatic vision of God in the temple. The train of his robe fills the temple. He sees the angels around him, surrounding the throne. And then an angel comes and touches his lips with coals from the altar and says, your sin is forgiven because he said, I'm a sinful person. And then Isaiah has this tremendous revelation and, and God speaks up and he says, uh, who, will, who will we send? And Isaiah stands up and he says, here I am, send me, send me. And then God says, okay, I'm going to send you. And uh, he says to him, but when you speak, people will be hearing, but they're not going to be listening. They're not going to be able to perceive your message. And then Isaiah says something right after that. He says, how long, Lord? How long am I going to be doing this? And he says, until the city lies devastated. He said, till, till the end of your life, you're going to be doing this. Isaiah had to wait a long time. So Isaiah was used to waiting on God, but he never got discouraged. Last week we talked about the tremendous victory that King Hezekiah had in chapters 36 and 37. It's recorded three times in the Bible. But there's this dramatic uh, victory that is won by the king of Israel, but it's actually God that wipes out the army. He comes to their aid and helps them. They waited on God, and God came through. And so now we get to chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah. And if you were to look at the book of Isaiah, many theologians have talked about the book of Isaiah, and it's pretty interesting. It's almost as if that there is this um, picture of a whole Bible, the first uh, 39 chapters represent the Old Testament, the next 27 chapters represent the New Testament. The first is about judgment, about people not listening, and the last 27 are about the Messiah who comes and brings new life to people, and they respond to him. But waiting on God is something that we see throughout the Bible, whether it's Abraham and Sarah having to wait on God for a child for 25 years whether it's Joseph having to be in prison for years and had to be sold as a slave by his brothers and then he rises up to become uh, the second in command to Pharaoh. And so there's many times that God delays doing something in our life and what I want to encourage you in is don't 
waste that time. The time when God is delaying, the time when you're in between what God has said He's going to do and what He actually does, that in-between time is a time for us to be drawing closer to God than we ever have before. Because it's in that time that God begins to do something inside us that is even greater than what He's going to do on the outside or even answering our prayer. So He's able to do that. You know, there was a missionary effort back 100 and fi- over 150 years ago. American missionary, missionary Adoram Judson arrived in Burma, which we now call Myanmar, in 1812. He died there 38 years later in 1850, and during that time he suffered for the cause of the gospel. He was in prison, he was tortured, he was kept in shackles, and after the death of his first wife, and to whom he was devoted for several months, He was so depressed that he sat daily beside her tomb. Three years later, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. But Adoram's faith sustained him, and he threw himself into the task to which he believed God had called him. He worked fervently on his translation of the Bible. The New Testament had now been printed, and he finished the Old Testament in about 1834. Statistics are unclear, but there were only somewhere between 12 and 25 professing Christians in the country when he died in 1850. And there were no churches to speak of. So on the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language by Adoram Johnson, there were estimated to be 600,000 Burmese believers who had read the Bible in their own language and can trace their spiritual heritage back to this missionary, Adoram Judson. But Adoram Judson never saw, he never saw it on earth. But he sees it now from heaven. Isaiah never witnessed Jesus coming But he sees it now from heaven. He spoke about it, but didn't see the Messiah actually come. And it'll be the case for some of us. We may be called to invest our lives, our time, and others for which we may see no immediate change immediately. Trusting that the God of all grace who oversees our work or our investment in people's lives, he understands that labor is not in vain. When Isaiah begins that what many say is the second half of his prophetic book, that last victory that he has, he begins to then speak to people in a way that's totally different than the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah begins to comfort God's people. And Isaiah 41 begins with comfort. Comfort my people, says the Lord. The Lord wanted his people to understand, even though they were in a waiting time, They could be comforted with the presence and the power and the promises that God had given them. And it's the same for you and I, isn't it? Isn't it the same for you and I? When we actually get into the presence of God, even in the midst of our most painful situations, God can come through and can minister to us in a way that brings comfort like nobody else can bring comfort. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, who's actually called, he is actually called the comforter or the counselor. And so Isaiah gives a message of hope 
And he even gives this intimate message from God. He says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and he gently leads those that have young. And so God gives this picture to his people as a loving, caring shepherd who not only leads his sheep, but he picks them up and carries them when they're wounded and hurt. And it's a picture of God's love for us today. Isaiah shares what God tells him. The Lord is proclaiming something else. He's proclaiming that he has limitless strength. That he's able to do things that nobody else can do because he's the creator of the whole universe. And so Isaiah begins to start start to share what God has said. Look at the universe. I've created all the stars. I've created everything in the universe. And I'm able then to care for you. The question that we have is, and Isaiah gives to the people, can you trust him? Can you trust God in the midst of what you're going through right now? And that was the question that Isaiah gave to the people of Israel at that time. And it's the same question that he gives to us today. Especially when we've been disappointed in waiting. Especially when we see it seems like it's idle time or things are not happening quick enough than we think they should be. And so they start out with these questions. Why do you complain, Jacob? Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I'll put my own name in there. Why do you complain, oh Al? (laughs) Oh Al, what are you complaining about? Why do you say, Lori, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? And then it's time that we, when we put ourselves in the position, put yourself in the Bible sometimes. You know, sometimes we have to personalize the Scripture. Because when we personalize it, it makes it more real to us. So a lot of times when God is speaking His promises, put your name in there. When He's challenging you, When he's challenging his people, put your name in there. What about me? He says this, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God is saying, you can compare any situation, any person in this world to me, and they'll come up far short because I'm limitless. I have all the wisdom that there is. And God is saying, I want you to trust me. You see, we live in a sin-marred, fallen world, and yet God can still work in this world. And He does it especially when we come to Him and intentionally speak with Him and intentionally wait on Him to work when our hope and our expectation is in Him. That's why He says in Isaiah 55, a few chapters later, He says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. And let them turn to the Lord and He'll have mercy on them and to our God for He will freely pardon. And it's a picture here that God wants us in the midst of our waiting to take an examination of our lives. And if there's something that's out of line with His will, we're to confess it. We're to repent of it. And then He says these famous lines and I'm I'm sure you've heard them before. And I love this. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so the picture that Isaiah is giving to us, and God is giving to us through Isaiah, is that we have limits. We have (laughs) limits in so many different ways. In our thinking, in our own wisdom, in our resources, in our physical health and ability. For some, it's age. But he says, I am limitless. You know, when we... When you know that your smartphone tells you when your battery is running low, there's a warning light or there's some sort of uh, thing that springs up that says you're 20% below, you're below 20% power. And there's times when you and I are running below 20% of our strength. But that is not a time to complain. It's not a time to say my way is hidden from God. But it's a time to draw closer to God than we ever have before. It's a time to wait on Him and to be connected to Him. And in that connection, God can do something to renew us and to strengthen us. I don't have any time to wait on the Lord. Uh, I believe that we could use some of those 37 billion hours that we contribute to take time to turn our hearts towards the Lord. There's times when you can do that while you're waiting in line, while you're in a downtime. Instead of flipping over to the phone, sometimes it's time to turn our eyes and our attention on the living God. We don't have to stay totally busy and totally focused on information from coming outside into our lives, we can actually turn our attention to the Lord. The Bible says, and as he goes on, he says, he gives strength then to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And then he says something, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Even young people get tired. Young people, do you get tired? Look at, I see some of you, you're tired. You're leaning back there. You're really tired today. And a lot of times our tiredness comes from always being occupied. And then when we finally sit down in church and we can't look at our phones, we can't do anything except listen or sing. And when we're not singing, we have to listen. And I can tell you, it's sometimes it's the first time we're quiet. And of course, some people go, you know, they go, right, Elliot, are you with me today? There's times when we, that quietness puts us to sleep instead of recharges us. And what I want to suggest to you is that God wants us to plug into Him. He wants us to connect to Him. We need to recognize our limits. We need to understand that we can grow tired and weary. We can even stumble and fall into sin. And then we need a rescue plan and God is able to rescue us if we'll come to Him. If we'll seek Him. Then it says here, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They'll soar with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. The metaphor Isaiah uses is that of an eagle that uses the turbulence of the wind to help him soar above the mountains almost effortlessly. In fact, the stronger the wind, the higher he flies. And there's times when the pressure in this world can get to us. It can actually push us down. It can be oppressive. Waiting on God to do something uh, sometimes can seem to be oppressive. That we can get even depressed. And what God wants to do is wants us to seek His face, to turn our eyes towards Him, and then to soar on wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary. There was a time in my life when I used to run and not grow weary. <laughs> I would run, you know, like five to seven miles a day. And they call it a runner's high. That when you're starting to run, you start out really tired. But then when you start to get your rhythm, it seems like it's almost effortless that you get used to running. You waiting on God is somewhat similar to that. That people actually enjoy waiting in the presence of God. They actually enjoy His presence. And there's people like that that are so full of the joy of the Lord because they've waited in His presence and they sense His presence, they sense Him speaking to them and it's actually renewing to their soul. But that takes practice. That takes the time to do that, to discern when God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Because He'll use the Word of God to speak to you and encourage you and renew you. But if we never get to that, a lot of times we stay weary. And then there's another picture of walking and not fainting. Of that steady day-by-day walk that God wants us to have with Him. A steady pace. Renewing our strength in the limitless glory of God. That's what He wants us to do. What can stop the process of renewal is when in a time of waiting on the Lord, we resort to our old ways of handling things. You know, there can be a a few things. One is that we refuse. uh, Some of the things that we have to do is not to take revenge or to retaliate. When we're in a time of waiting and we've been hurt by somebody, it's not the time to retaliate or take revenge. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says this, Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and He will avenge you. There's a picture here of God encouraging you and me to not respond with anger when somebody speaks to us in anger. Or when somebody hurts us, we're not to retaliate with the same hurt that we've received from them. He says, wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. Another thing is, refuse to pass judgment, to judge the motives of others just by human standards. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. (coughs) Wait until the Lord comes. You know, there's sometimes we're not going to know why God has allowed something to happen or why somebody did what they did. We have to leave the judgment into God's hands. He'll bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. 
At that time, each will receive their praise from God. A third thing, refuse to get a divorce. Rather, work on forgiveness, reconciliation, and biblical uh, solutions. One of the things that God wants to do is to establish, if you're a married person here, He wants to establish your marriage, strengthen your marriage, but there's many voices out there There's many ways that uh, all marriages are under attack today. And some people have given up on their marriages. They've given up on things. And they've they've actually uh, gone to divorce. And God wants to work on reconciliation and biblical solutions. I know there's times that that's impossible to do. And if you're here and you've been divorced or you're separated, I know there's, there's so many different scenarios that happen and the reasons for that. And there are reasons in the Bible why you can get a divorce. I'm not saying that there aren't. There are. But for, the most, for most people, marriage takes a commitment to one another and having Christ in the center of your marriage. And it makes the biggest difference. Resu- refuse to resort to manipulation of others. While you're waiting on the Lord, when you're waiting for God to do that, Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Allow God to be the Holy Spirit. I've talked to so many husbands and wives, and, uh, you know, I'll talk to them. I left the book right on his nightstand, How to Have a Better Marriage. But he never picked it up. I don't understand. And you know what's going to do more for a marriage is to have the Holy Spirit at work and for you to wait on the Lord and to trust Him and ask and and intercede for that situation. Or sometimes it's trying to manipulate our children or even our parents. Allow the Holy Spirit to work. Action steps to help you wait on God. What are some of them? One of them is this. Are you in a difficult situation Do things seem out of control? Then wait and look expectantly to God, the Almighty, and trust Him. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 says this, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He brings out the starry hosts one by one. He calls them forth, each of them by name, because of His power and His great strength. Not one of them is missing. And Isaiah tells people, when you're in a difficult situation, turn to the Lord. Look to Him. Are you facing a problem of physical or financial need? Then wait on the Lord as the one who provides you for, for you in His timing. And again, that word wait means look expectantly. Reach out to Him. Don't be passive in it. Don't say, well, I went to church. That was it. Nothing happened. Trust God. Continue to work on your relationship with the Lord. Do you lack assurance in your salvation? Or are you facing feelings of guilt, shame, or insignificance? Then look expectantly to Jesus' provisions made for you at the cross. He's the Lord, your righteousness, the forgiver of your soul, and the one who delights to renew and strengthen you. And that's what God does. He's delighting to renew and strengthen us. 
Jude 20 and 21 says this, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. And again, there's this idea of praying in the Holy Spirit, being full of the love of God, even as we wait for the second coming of Christ when He will come and He'll set everything right that's been wronged. And we wait for that time. It's our blessed hope that we know God is going to come through in the end. So let's place our faith and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for your word to us to wait upon you and to renew our strength in you. And Lord, even as Isaiah spoke this word, Lord, I know that you had ministered the same thing to him, that he needed to trust you even when circumstances were difficult. I pray, Father, for your people right now, for each of us. The things that we're going through right now, I pray, Father, that you would help us to look to you. That we'd be expecting you to speak into our lives. To work in the situation that we're in. And that we can trust you because you are the God Almighty, limitless, in wisdom and in power. So Lord, would you work? Would you work in your people? Would you work in our lives? Return to you, Lord. Lord, I believe there's people that are praying for their marriages. Lord, I believe that there's people that are praying for a loved one who is yet to come and follow you. We're waiting on you to work and to move and to bring healing. Father, there's some that are concerned about their health. And there's a fear there. And Lord, you want to let them know that you are their shepherd, that you care for them, that you comfort them, that you even carry them through any circumstance and any illness. So, Lord, we look to you right now. We look to your greatness. We look to your power. And, Lord, we not only look to you, but we take a posture of worship. We take a posture of faith. We take a posture of stretching out our hands to you and our love for you and saying, Lord, would you meet us here? Because you're worthy. You're worthy of all our praise. So have your way today, Lord. Don't let us leave this place without connecting to you and being renewed. Meet us here, Lord. Minister to us even as we worship you. Pray this in Jesus' name.